So we're in Acts 26. We're going to pick up in verse 19. We left off with Paul in the middle of his testimony. He's speaking to Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, and then all of the leadership of the um, city, Caesarea, and then the military leaders. And so there's a big group of people here. While Paul is discussing his testimony, he's sharing it with um, these leaders. He, he was told he was going to be able to share with kings and leaders, and that's exactly what he's doing here. I'm sure he was ecstatic. He's like, I have the audience here. They're a captive audience because here they are. I'm in chains, but they are sitting here listening to me. Can, can you imagine that? Being a prisoner and being able to talk to a king at that same level, he's now sharing something with that king that the king needs to hear. He's going through his testimony of what Jesus told him that he was going to be doing. He was sharing the Damascus Road experience and the, the new mission that God was sending him on. Previously, his mission was to go and kill Christians, to go and capture them, bring them back to Jerusalem, arrest them, and kill them, put them to death. And now his mission has completely changed because God sent him on a new mission. He said, you're going to go out before the Jews, the Gentiles, kings and leaders, and you're going to bring the gospel to all of them, and I'm going to protect you while you go do that. Today's message is titled, Without Chains, as we continue our study in Acts chapter 26 and verse 19, where we read, Therefore, King Agrippa, what is the therefore? Therefore is everything he was telling King Agrippa about about what Jesus told him. If your Bible has read letters, you'll see that everything that was said up until that point was actually Jesus speaking and telling Paul what he needed to hear. And now Paul was sharing that with Agrippa. They were the words of Jesus. And so, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God's talking to me, I wasn't disobedient, I'm going to listen. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. And so here he has given the testimony of his interaction with Jesus, and then he said, I took what Jesus said and I put it into action. I went to Damascus and I shared with them. I went to Jerusalem and I shared with them. He heard from God and he responded. He has a new purpose in his life. The message today is the same that Paul preached 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed it's still valid 
it's still the same message for us that Paul spoke back there. Repent, turn to God, and do works that demonstrate your repentance. You see, that's the whole story in just a few words. First of all, repentance. Repent means to turn in the opposite direction. You're going this way, and repenting means I'm not going to go, I'm going to go this way now. And that's the direction we need to be going, towards Jesus, not away from him. Turn to God. So repentance means whatever direction you're going in, turning to God is the right direction. And then anyone who is truly saved, who has truly repented, will live in such a way that people will be able to tell that their life is different. People will be able to see the repentance being lived out in works. A lot of people don't like that term, works. It sounds too much like work. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, for those of you retired, you're like, oh, I don't have to work anymore. I'm sorry, you can't retire from being saved. Yes. You're going to continue until he comes home and takes us home. So people don't want to hear about repent. Uh, it sounds like you're doing something wrong, right? People don't want to hear that they're doing something wrong. They want to hear, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing things to the best of my ability, which may actually be true. You may be doing them to the best of your ability, but your ability is not what saves us. It's God who has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And at that point, uh, we are left without any work that we can do to be saved but being saved causes us to work, to do things for God, not because we have to, because we want to. Well, we're told to, right? It, it's, it's an obedience thing. You know, my children didn't have to obey when I told them. Well, half the time they didn't. But my children didn't have to obey when I told them something. But if they didn't obey, there was going to be repercussions. There was going to be a punishment for the fact that they didn't obey. And they started learning from that. We sometimes have to go through a time of punishment when we're not very obedient. And when we live in such a way where we contradict the very thing we say we believe the very purpose of our life, who we live for, and then we contradict what we say and by what we do. Works aren't done to show uh, that we're saved. The works are done because you are saved. And you want to do the works that are worthy of salvation. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And it's nothing that we've done. And so 
That's important for us to remember every day. His mercy is new every morning when we get up. He has a whole bunch of new grace for us, and we need it. And so that's the good news. That's why salvation is called the gift of God, because we can't earn it. We can't work for it. It's given to us. as a, it, That's like if someone gave you a Lamborghini, okay? Uh, you know, I, I mention that often, and, and, you know, I'm waiting for someone to bring me a Lamborghini. But uh, if someone actually gave you a Lamborghini, and then you gave them a dollar and said, here, oh, oh, here, that's for the Lamborghini. Well, then it's no longer a gift. And although it was just a dollar and you know a Lamborghini is worth much more than a dollar, uh, you give a dollar and soon the story is going to be, well, I got this Lamborghini for a dollar. <laughs> it wasn't a gift anymore. Now, all of a sudden, it was something you did to get that Lamborghini. You gave a dollar, and that's how you got the Lamborghini. You see, and that's the same thing. We have nothing that we can bring to the table to give to God for our salvation. We have nothing. There's no amount that we can bring that would even measure up to what we've been given. And so, you know, I think that's... Uh, that's kind of a good picture. You'll have that Lamborghini in the back of your mind now. And, and I really don't want a Lamborghini. Maserati, please. So, verse um, 21. For these reasons the Jews seized me, he's continuing to share his testimony, in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And so... He now gives the rest of the story, and he's just sharing the truth. It's not that he's making up a bunch of history. He's just sharing the facts. These are the facts. This is what we need to, go to know. And the Jews seized me because I was sharing this information. I was telling them that this is what the prophet said. This is what the scriptures said. And I believe it. And you're missing the point of what the scriptures say. And, and the Jews didn't want to hear that they were wrong. Who wants to hear that they're wrong? No one. Everyone wants to hear that they're right. If if we all started sharing stories about an event that takes place, it would sound different from each perspective. And it'd be, no, no, that's not how it happened. No, it happened like this. My wife and I sometimes will, will go back and, oh, do you remember when this happened? Um, no, you know? And, and then I'll start hearing, and I'll, oh, yeah, I remember that. But 
this is what actually happened. No, no, that's not what, and it's like, Neither one of us probably are close to being right, but it, it doesn't, it's what we remember. The same thing happens in our Christian walk. When we look back at our, our maybe point of salvation, uh, our um, walk with different churches, and many of us have gone to different, I've gone to Baptist churches, I've gone to Presbyterian churches, and, and then I found Calvary Chapel in uh, 87, uh, no, uh, 97, and uh, 87. And I, so I found <laughs> Calvary Chapel in 87, and I started going, and I said, hold on, this makes sense to me. This is the, the clarity that I was hearing in the teaching of the word made sense. I, I didn't get that in a lot of other places. That doesn't mean they were wrong. This is where I found clarity, where I, I could relate, I could understand. And, and half the Calvary Chapel pastors were either druggies or prisoners or something like that. And these are the guys that I could relate to. You know, and, and so it was like, oh, you know, I, I grew up in New York. You know, these guys, I know, you know, what they're talking about. I can relate to these guys, you know. And so I could find, you know, uh, an understanding and clarity with that. A lot of times we don't exactly agree with everything that someone teaches through the word of God because they have a different perspective. They have a different, that doesn't mean they're wrong. It's just the way they see things. And, and with Paul, Paul is documenting the facts. He's documenting the Jewish facts. He's documenting the historic facts, but he's also documenting what Jesus taught him. You see, he got it straight from Jesus. He didn't go to men. He didn't go to seminary. He had already been through seminary. Remember, he was taught under Gamaliel, one of the leading teachers in all of Judaism. He was taught by him. And so Paul already had all the information that he needed to have, but people were still, um, you know, trying to twist what he was saying. There were people, every time he would go somewhere, there would be people that come, they were called the Judaizers. They would come behind him and try to twist what he had said. So fortunately, he, he documented everything. And today... Thousands of years later, we are still reading those documents and validating them. Yes. Do you know how we validate them? We test them with our own lives. We read what he says and we put it into action. And then we see if there's fruit from it. And so sometimes our lives are very fruitful. Sometimes we need a little pruning. Sometimes we need to hack a branch off, you know. But the good news is that we can always go back to the word because Paul didn't write these words. The Holy Spirit did through Paul. He used Paul to speak to us. If these words weren't valid, we wouldn't be reading them today. 
we, we would be reading something else or watching a football game. So he has now been in custody for two years in Caesarea. And he, had, uh, he was allowed to interact with his friends, but he's been in custody nevertheless. And so in custody, he says, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. Having obtained help, you see, our perspective of help sometimes is confused because we think help means pain-free, trial-free. We think that help means there's no struggle. And so if God is helping us, we have nothing to you know, be concerned about. Here's the truth. We have nothing to be concerned about because God's helping us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means that we may have to go through trials. We may have to go through struggles. And then we learn from them. And the thing we learn from trials and struggles, like what Paul is going through, he learns that God makes a way. Always. And so he started off at the temple, and years later now, he's still in custody, so he hasn't been set free, and he did nothing wrong. Man, today, we would be lawyering up. We would have a team of lawyers. We'd be going to the Supreme Court. We'd be fighting for our rights because there was nothing that was charged against him that would find him guilty of being in chains or death. But that's what was happening. So Paul didn't just share the good news of Jesus. He, he shared the bad news too, the rough news. That's how come Felix, when he um, taught Felix, was didn't want any part of Paul after Paul had called him out with the truth of the word. So, you know, Paul didn't mince words. Now, Festus is a little uncomfortable also with this teaching as Paul is teaching it. And now in verse 24, Paul continues, Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Well, Paul was very educated. Um, it, besides Gamaliel, it, it's been written about Paul that any, any books out there, anything that there was out there, he would read it all. And he would just absorb all the information out there. They didn't have War and Peace back then. You know, that's like a volume this big, you know, when you read a book. See, they were all scrolls, so they really had the information compact into small, you know, letters that Paul would, you know, research, read, and he'd absorb all of this information. Today, we call them memes. <laughs> so, you know, cause just short pieces of information. Here, this is this information that you need to have right now. But Festus is now calling him out, saying, Paul, you're mad. The world believes Christians are out of our minds. Why do they believe that? 
because if they believed what we believe, then they would have to change their life. Their lifestyle would have to change because of conviction of the truth. I hear the truth, I know that this is true, so I have to change. That's for every one of us. It causes us to go in a different direction. It causes us to repent because we understand what the truth is. And we understand we can't continue doing what we were doing to please ourselves, to do what we felt like doing. So we had to change. You know, uh, the world thinks that evolution caused us to be here, not God. Any clear-minded person would know that that's just a bunch of hooey. That's, and if you don't know where that word, I, I don't know where it comes from either, but in, in New York, we, we, we would say hooey, so. They can't understand how we believe in a God who loves us but there's pain and suffering in the world. If God loved us so much, there would be no pain and suffering in the world. He would just give us complete peace. You know, and, and the, the reality is the only pain and suffering in the world doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from God. He's not the one causing the pain and suffering. He allows it, but he doesn't cause it. And uh, we know that as we go through trials, as we struggle through things, we grow closer because we realize we need him. We need to go through these things so we can rely on him. It would appear that Christians are out of touch with reality based on what the world says, based on what government says or whatever the case may be. But if you watch the news, you realize who's really out of touch. Thank you. You know, some of the things I watch in the news, like, what is this, a horror movie? No, it's a fact. It's what is going on in the world right now. You know, who would have thunk some of the things we're seeing right now uh, would be happening? 20 years ago, uh, you know, people would be imprisoned for the things that we are now calling valid and now supporting. And so this is ridiculous. But when you see how reality is changing on a regular basis, you realize who really is out of touch with reality. It, it makes it pretty clear. I, I believe this is part of dividing the sheep and the goats. It's not gonna be a hard decision of where people stand because what, you really supported that over this? You know, and it's gonna be easy to call out those who decide that sin is acceptable and that God is not. So Paul now responds to Festus in verse 25. He said, I am not mad, noble Festus, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. So those are the words we need to hear, right? Truth and reason. 
We need to know that what we're being told is true and reasonable. And we do know because we put it to the test in our own lives and it becomes truth inside of us. We can work out that truth and it becomes reasonable. It makes sense. And when you compare what we're taught here against what the world is doing, it's very reasonable. What the world is doing is unreasonable. But it doesn't matter if the majority says it's the truth. The majority can now stand up and it doesn't even have to be a majority. It's just a, a minority with a loud voice can stand up and say something, this is what you need to believe because this is true, and people believe it. People just follow lockstep because they don't know any better. They don't research to find out what's true and what's not. They're too busy, and they don't care to get involved, and I, I don't want to deal with the government. I'm just going to you know, do whatever they tell me to do. You know, that's how we know that what Jesus said is true. The truth isn't subjective, it's empirical. There's nothing about the truth that is questionable. You know, you can question it in your mind, but then when you put it to the test, it proves to be true. And so that's why we read the scriptures, because we read the truth, we put it to the test by acting upon what we've read. That's how we know that it's true. This is important. It doesn't matter if you agree with the truth or not. The truth is true whether or not you agree with it. You know, you, you can find people that will agree that lies are the truth. They're on TV. So they're credible because they're on TV, right? Those people are the ones, they, they make movies, and then they come on TV and tell you what to believe. And they have to be credible, because if they weren't credible, they wouldn't be, you know what they are? Actors. Okay. <laughs> Let me dismount from the soapbox. But Paul didn't want Festus to be the center of attention. You see, Festus cut him off, and he said, no, I, I, I don't want you to be the center of attention. You know what? I'm not mad. And now he's going to direct his attention back to where it needs to be in, in verse 26. He said, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Paul goes right back to the king. You know why? Because everyone else that's up there, doesn't matter, Festus, Bernice, who, and all the other people that are up there, they don't matter. If you can convince the king, then everyone else will fall into place, right? Everyone else will say, oh, 
you know, the king believes. So he doesn't care about Festus. Here's the thing. Festus didn't know anything. Festus didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't know anything about, you know, Christianity at this point. He didn't know. But Agrippa, he knew. He, he was Jewish. And so he had studied all these things. He was very knowledgeable in the scriptures. And so Paul calls him out and says, you know, I know, I'm convinced that none of these things have escaped your attention. And what is Agrippa going to say? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. That would make him look stupid. Right? So Paul gains the upper hand in this discussion as he's speaking with Agrippa. Agrippa knows the Old Testament scriptures, and he's now being called out on it. Paul was speaking with authority, and it would make Agrippa look weak if he disagreed with what Paul was saying. So Paul continued to address Agrippa directly in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. So here he is saying, I know. I know what you believe. You believe the prophets. And how can King Agrippa not? You know, because he's a Jew. He has to believe the prophets, right? Because he's Jewish. That's his faith. Although his lifestyle didn't show that he... See, here's the part with works. What he believed in his head was not lived out by what he did in his life. He had an incestuous relationship with his sister, Bernice. Bernice was his sister. Now, there, there was no document that we can find that she was also his wife, legally uh, binding, but... Uh, we do know that he was, that was his sister. And they had this relationship going on for a long time. So that would be a hard thing to um, square away as a Christian. As a Christian, you would have to make some changes. You would have to do something drastic at that point. But he was already committed, right? So he calls him out and says, you agree. I know that you do believe. The simplicity of this question leads to the answer, if you believe the prophets, then you believe in Jesus. Because the prophets gave 300 prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them. And so now you can't, untie the prophets and Jesus. They're together. It's the only person that ever lived that fulfilled the prophecies of the prophets. No one even comes close. No one even fulfills 10. Jesus fulfilled over 300. So he couldn't deny what Paul was saying. Verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost 
and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Pow. You know, can, can you imagine what Agrippa's face looked like at this point? Uh, what the emotion that was going through the crowd that was gathered. This was compelling. This was powerful. Agrippa said, I almost am led to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Folks, if you go out and share your testimony with someone, you don't have to persuade them to become a Christian. That's not your job. All you have to do is share the gospel with them, share the truth with them, share your testimony with them. The rest is up to God. The Holy Spirit draws people into a relationship with God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is just to share the good news, to share the joy of the Lord. Listen, Paul is giving this whole speech in chains before a king, before all this opulence and royalty that is before him. And here he is as a prisoner sharing all of this. And just for Agrippa to say, I am almost persuaded, that's powerful. You see, Festus had just said, you're mad. If Agrippa said, I am persuaded, I believe, now he'd be mad too. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place. What do I do? I'm a ruler. I'm the king. People will look down on me because the man standing in front of me was a Pharisee. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was one of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the rulers. He was on the council of the Jews in Jerusalem, one of the highest positions in the land. And here he stands before me in chains. I'm a king. He, he wasn't the king. He was a king of a region. And so he could be shot down the same as Paul and demoted and lowered. But he almost made You know what? Here's the thing. When you go before the Lord on the day of judgment, the thing nobody wants to hear is you almost made it to heaven. <laughs> almost. You were close. That's not something anyone wants to hear. But if Agrippa didn't change, that's what he's going to hear. Well, you almost made it, Agrippa. You even said it yourself. And, I mean, Paul isn't going to be there judging him. You know, there's not going to be anyone else there judging him. It's going to be God. But God has all the details. And God didn't have to read Acts 26 to know what Agrippa said. He was there. He has all the details. So, 
in verse uh, 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. And then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You see, he appealed to Caesar when um, Festus wanted to bring him back to Jerusalem to be tried in Jerusalem. Remember, he got to Caesarea because there were 40 men that wanted to kill him and they were laying in wait for him. And so they took him under armed guard, this big entourage of hundreds of soldiers, and took him to Caesarea. And so he's been there ever since. And now the Jews wanted to get him back to Jerusalem so they can kill him along the way going back. And since Festus was new, he didn't really know the history. Uh, he asked Paul, do you want to go back and be tried before the council there? And Paul, being a Roman citizen, only a Roman citizen, has this right I don't want to be charged before them, but I want to be charged. I want to go before the, the king of kings, the royal Roman king, Caesar. That's who I want to go before. I have the right to go before Caesar. And he was told, you want to go to Caesar? That's who you're going to. But since he made that, people say he shouldn't have said that. He wasn't letting God control the situation. Well, who knows that God didn't tell him to do that. It doesn't say God told him to say that. It, it just said he, he appealed to Caesar. See, here's the thing. He knew he was going to get to Rome anyway because God told him you were going to Rome. He knew that he would get an audience in Rome. He was going to go fulfill. And God had this all planned. God knew what was going to happen ahead of time. And Paul fulfilled God's plan. He followed God's plan. How do I know? Because 2,000 years later, we're reading about it. And it's still true today as it was back then. So people find many reasons not to come to Christ, not to believe. They try to find something where they can justify their actions of not believing. I don't believe that there's a God who would send people to hell. You know, that's, that's not a loving God. He's not sending anyone to hell. It's their choice. Everyone's going to hell already. He's giving them a way out. But people don't see it that way. They're focused on, you know, what they get out of this. You know, what, what's my rights? Some say, I'm not ready right now. Well, if you knew you were going to be in a car, do you know that two people die? Every second of the day, every second of the day, two people are dying. 
in this world. When you think about it that way, are you kidding? Every second? How many people just died as I was talking about that? It's happening. People are dying. A hundred out of a hundred people die. We don't know when that time is. And so we should always be prepared because when we leave this earth, the next breath could be in heaven. Uh, wouldn't that be cool? People here may be sad, but uh, we're not going to be moaning about it. It's what we look forward to as Christians. Other people consider what they have to give up, probably just like Agrippa. They consider, oh, I have to give this up. I have to give that up. I have to, I have to stop doing this and stop doing that. And I tell people this, give your heart to Christ and then listen to what he tells you to give up. Don't just assume I have to change everything today. Don't do that. Give your heart to Christ. Receive him. Live for him. <coughs> Wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Live for him. And he will tell you what you should change. As a matter of fact, you will want to change it because you will realize how bad it really is. Sometimes we as Christians think we have to tell everyone what they need to do. As All right, you're a new Christian. Here's what you need to stop doing. And these are the things you need to do. Don't do that. Tell them the good news and then pray for them that the enemy doesn't swoop in and steal the seed. And as long as they stay in the presence of the Lord, he will work out all the other details. We don't have to go around changing them overnight. It took me 40 years to get to this level of perfection. <laughs> yeah, see, you can laugh about that. I laugh about it. So as we close today, the world is getting darker. The economy is getting worse. People are looking for solutions to problems. But the solution is not an ec economic one. It's not a physical one. The solution is spiritual. And we're not going to see a spiritual change overnight. Well, except, of course, for the rapture. Then it would be very quick. That spiritual change is going to take care of all the other problems. But as we're living here today, we're living without chains. Because no matter what chains the enemy has tried to chain us with, we have a savior who has removed the chains and freed us. Uh, we may still have struggles here while we're on earth, but we know that we've been set free. The truth has set us free. His love has set us free. His life has set us free. And so now we are free citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Woohoo! We can be excited about that. Amen?